Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 292, all about water. This seems like a pretty simple topic, but there are a lot of nuances and complexities, and this is a constant ask yes. that we get uh, from clients and podcast listeners. So we really wanted to, you know, put it all in one place. And this is also something that I know Allie and I are, are constantly making sure that we're on top of for our own households as well. Yes, it's been a process. I remember, you know, in college days, my first ever Brita filter. Yeah, the plastic pitcher. <laughs> and that was like kind of before plastic water bottles were all the rage mm-hmm. and like anyone quote unquote drank water or had a water bottle around them at all times. And then that whole buzz and era happened. And, you know. Did you have Nalgene's? Because I always had Nalgene's. That was the cool thing. I did have college. some Nalgene's, yes. But I see, again, I was like, that was my later end mm-hmm. of college. Mm-hmm. So that age difference, Becky. Um, when, when water became a trend. <laughs> yeah. Um, but really, it's interesting. And, and I remember advocating to my parents like, oh, you need a Brita. And then being like, oh, wait, when I learned about uh, xenoestrogens mm-hmm. and plastics being like, oh, no, the Brita doesn't make sense anymore. And, right. you know, what are these black carbon things floating in my water that mm-hmm. I'm drinking? And my roommate didn't change the Brita or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was an era. And then, you know, looking at to Berkey filters, which we'll talk about uh, different form of carbon filters there, uh, looking to glass bottled water options and so much more. And, you know, now in my journey, which was really sparred by the bad season, is this kind of homestead project, I guess, that we are on and embarking in as we're building our home in Hill Country here. And we are going to have both a 40,000 gallon rain barrel collection system, as well as an additional 20,000 gallon rain barrel collection system on our barn. And that will help to be used for our orchard. And then we're also going to have a well that we are drilling. So I am pretty like neck deep in all things water sourcing <laughs> and considerations and strategy of filtration and, and homesteading and using the most you can out of your natural resource, questions to ask when buying property to consider like how much well water can you actually pull from this aquifer and what aquifer is this property on? These are questions that we need to know before we ideally purchase the land and um, if rain water collection is even legal in your area. Do you know that some areas it's illegal? I'm not surprised. Yeah, but it's um, interesting. Hmm. <laughs> very, very interesting. We'll talk about water security a little bit in here. Yeah, too. Most that's, definitely. That's an important topic. And, you know, the more and more that the earth and soil is abused and used as a dead anchor and the less energy that we put into restorative agriculture and keeping the soil living with microbes and with activity, the more runoff and water waste we get, of mm-hmm. course. And so when we're talking about municipal water or tap water, 
a lot of the toxicity that we see is because groundwater has to be treated. And we know, of course, agricultural areas tend to be really high toxicity, uh, but we're going to cover it all the sterility and the chlorine in your tap water, as well as the fluoride and so much more and things to consider. And I will say, this is another one of those examples of like a dial, not an on and off light switch where you can progressively make changes for your household within realistic approach with your income of what's good, better, best, um, but definitely some strategy and some deep thought on how to move the dial towards optimal health or lowest toxicity as possible. Yes. All right, before we get into today's topic, quick update for you all. So it is mid-May right now as we air this episode. Um, And right now we have our Beat the Heat campaign going on for our probiotics. So um, while all of our probiotics have been tested to contain these stated active live cultures or, or the amount of CFU up to 122 degrees, We know that during the summer months, especially a lot of our Texas clients um, will get nervous about receiving a probiotic that's maybe warm or room temperature to the touch. Um, We've experimented in the past with, you know, styrofoam and dry ice and ice packs and like all of the things um, and actually seen no difference in the amount of colony forming units and, and the viability of our products. And so to do away with all of that environmental waste, we ditched all of that extra packaging and, and, you know, the cold packs and all the things. Um, and we ship our probiotics like we ship every other supplement year round, but we just want to give you guys the opportunity to stock up before it gets really hot, just so you have that peace of mind. And it also allows you to stock up, save a little bit of money on, you know, a staple product for your household. So all the way through the month of May, we will be doing a promo with the code Beat the Heat. Um, you can view a link in the show notes to all of the products that are included, but it's all probiotics. And what you do is you buy two at full price and you get your third bottle at 50% off. Um, so we suggest using this on the highest dollar value probiotics, like the Targeted Strength and the Rebuild Spectrum probiotics, um, because like any BOGO type campaign, um, the discount will apply to the lowest dollar value product in your cart. So we want to make sure you capitalize on that. You can use the code as many times throughout the month of May as you like. Um, So stock up, get yourself well into at least August, if not September, October, depending on, you know, if you have an Indian summer like we do in Texas um, through September. Yes. Awesome. Before we get into all things water, we will take a word from our sponsor of today's episode, Fond Bone Broth, and a very relevant sponsor, I will say, because one of the integrity elements of Fond Bone Broth is that they use artisanal well water as the water used in their bone broth. And they test their well water daily for excellence, purity, and mineralization. And this is going to impart more nutrient density into the bone broth itself. In fact, off air, Becky and I were talking about how in my transition in this rental home, we didn't invest in doing an under the sink water filtration reverse osmosis system. And we also couldn't get our favorite water delivered, which is these glass globes. We'll talk about Mountain Valley Spring in a moment. 
So we've been doing water locally out here actually by a fantastic vendor that also sponsored our women's wellness retreat, Blue Jug. So if you're in the Hill Country area, definitely check out Blue Jug. They do in-home installations and they also provide various forms of filtered water at different alkalinity of pH. Um, They have really fantastic literature available on the filtration process that they use and the options that they can do again in your house household or as delivery or pickup. Um, So definitely check out Blue Jug. We'll put a link to them in the show notes as well. And I was just saying to Becky, okay, so I'm doing the glass jugs of water from Blue Jug and yet Brady is not always consistent about when we're making bone broth and such using that water because now it's like that's like our purchasable expensive water (laughs) and so you know he wants to use the the sink water because I mean we're simmering it it's like you know if we're worried about a pathogen it's going to be you know neutralized through that that boiling and simmering process but that simmering process does not remove uh, toxic metals and contaminants and volatile organic compounds luckily being in hill country here i've seen a huge reduction in my municipal water options so it gives me a little bit of peace of thumb but in the world of fond we love that they use this artisanal well water so that's the first thing that is really a big piece and connected to today's episode and we love fond because they are really like food as medicine in a jar we use the fond bone broth in my household. I sip on at least four to five jars a week. Um, and I love this as a source of nourishment and protein on a high stress day. So if I'm in clinic and I don't have time to stop and chew, I can get 20 grams of protein in one jar of fond bone broth. So when we're doing a bone broth fast, we can use four jars of fond bone broth. And a lot of my patients in clinic will use this like a three-day bone broth fast every other week as a really good way to support metabolic health and weight loss goals while still meeting their minimum protein needs. So they're able to get 80 grams of protein in those four jars while still being in a calorie deficit and yielding good metabolic shift. Fun bone broth also imparts various compounds to synergize as more food as medicine boosts from their cracked black pepper and turmeric blend, their liquid light it used to be called, to their spring clean which has radish and lemon, to their nopalito which is a fabulous kick of spice with habanero peppers and nopales cactus and uh, also in there is cilantro. They really serve as like a sous chef for you in your kitchen, whether you're braising down greens or deglazing a pan, the impartment of flavor from these food as medicine herb seasoning and spices really elevate the foods that you're consuming and have such great nutrient density. They also have quality sourced produce and protein. So they're using free range organic chickens and grass fed cow bone when they're using their beef bone broth blends. So go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD. At that page, you will see my picture and a testimonial of the flavors that I love. And you can use the code AllieMillerRD as a discount code to save 15% off of your order. That's a great way to let them know that you heard about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. And we love showing our sponsors love. So go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD. And also, I will link a YouTube video on how to do a bone broth fast if that like kind of sparked an idea of, oh, I'm ready for some more advanced spring cleaning and getting into the summer here in swimsuit season. Um, That's definitely something that you can layer into our 10-day detox. So we'll link both of those resources for you as well. All right. 
will do. And I'm pretty sure that bone broth should count toward some of your daily water goal, right? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. All right. Let's just cover real briefly. I think we take this for granted, but the importance of water and why it matters in the human body. Yeah. So water is an essential component to nearly all forms of life. We know that water comprises about 60 to 70 percent of the human body and your body loses water through a variety of natural biological processes. So when we're sweating, uh, when we are eliminating waste through urination or bowel movements, it's really important to ensure that we drink plenty of water to help to replace the losses and keep our body optimally functioning. So we know that water is required to regulate our body temperature. It plays a role in moistening our tissues, so especially our mucosal membranes in the mouth, um, in our eyes, and in our nose. We know that water or hydration plays a role in lubricating joints. It plays a role in protecting our body, our organs, and our tissues specifically. It supports bowel regularity and prevents constipation. We always say if you increase your fiber without enough fluid, Mm -hmm. you made a brick, not a broom. (laughs) You need enough fluid um, to create that fecal mass and uh, good bowel formation and motility. We know that water supports detoxification and the better hydrated we are, that's going to lessen the burden on our kidneys and our liver by flushing out our waste products or going through those phase one and phase two processes of detoxification. In fact, that first step is taking fat soluble compounds and making them water soluble through hydroxylation. And this requires, of course, water. We know body fat loss requires a process called lipolysis, which is literally lysing or breaking fat cells through a hydrolysis reaction or a water breaking reaction. So water also plays a role with optimizing metabolism and body fat loss, which is huge. So like a total free boost to your goals and body composition change. Water carries nutrients and oxygen into cells, and it helps to dissolve minerals and other nutrients to make them more accessible to the body. Um, And, you know, when we're talking about that connection of detox, often when a uh, client comes to me with blood work by their GP and they ran a comp and maybe their um, BUN is up or their creatinine level is up, the first kind of question we'll ask is like, okay, well, were you amply hydrated? Uh Because this is a marker of your kidney function, your blood urea nitrogen your BUN and so often that will be elevated if there's dehydration so if you did a fasted blood panel and you didn't drink that full 16 fluid ounces at rise that can really get you into showing some kidney stress and that's something we really want to support our liver and kidneys through getting ample water so whether you're getting water from a tap from a well, from a spring, from a river, from rain source, or even a bottle, we're going to unpack kind of good, better, best spectrum there and still supporting you with that goal of at least half of your body weight of fluid ounces of water per day. Generally speaking, that's going to be a minimum of two and a half liters. So when we're looking at an individual that is weighing, let's say 120 pounds, half of that would be 60 fluid ounces. And so we would want to push them beyond half their body weight to that 2.5 liter minimum. But for someone that weighs 200 pounds, half their body weight would be 100 fluid ounces. And so that would be three liters, which would be appropriate for that individual. Yes. And, and you know, when we're talking about drinking more water, we want to make sure that the source is good. We don't want to be magnifying then the toxicity that we're talking yes. about today. Um, and so, you know, I feel like we're always 
harping on, on not drinking bottled water, but I do, you know, when I see a new client and I ask about their water consumption, I will have the ones that pop up their yes, smart water. And yes. I'm like, okay, good. But. And <laughs> yeah, we need to shift that and not just buying the smart water and putting it into your, your yes. bottle, but, you know, finding a, a source versus bottled water. So let's just kind of squash this real quick before we go into even water sourcing. Yes. So I'm going to hit a couple reasons why you should no longer buy plastic bottled water. The first one is the cost. So, you know, when we're looking at the cost of water from your tap, again, regardless of the source, we're looking at around 0.002 cents per gallon. That's two tenths of a penny per gallon. Um, And so when we're looking at bottled water, you're paying about 2,000 times more for it. Um, And we're seeing continued increase in consumer demand. In fact, Americans drank 15 billion gallons of bottled water in 2020. And this was an increase of more than 4% over 2019, according to the Beverage Marketing Corporations. So this is a big place where you could save your money and invest in something more supportive for your health because you'll see that the plastic water bottles are not more pure than even many areas of municipal tap water. So the second argument against it is the quality. We've actually seen laboratory testing by the Environmental Workers Group, which found also sorts of nasty stuff in popular bottles of water. They found disinfectant byproducts, industrial chemicals, prescription drugs, and even bacteria. And unlike your local tap water utilities, which are required to test for contaminants and report them and have reports and analysis each year, and they have to disclose this information to the public, the bottled water industry can actually hide these results. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so like pretty you're wild. paying, again, 2,000 times more mm-hmm. than something from your tap, but it could be more gnarly than directly what's coming from your tap. Nope. And then we're talking about the third argument of the bottle itself, right? So it's not bad enough that the bottled water might be contaminated, but we know for certain that the plastic bottle itself adds to the problem. Um, We're looking at these PET plastics, and I mentioned prior xenoestrogens or synthetic estrogen mimicking properties from plastics which leach into the water. Um, These PET plastics are going to be often marked with a one on the bottom of them. They contain dozens of chemical additives, manufacturing impurities, and and breakdown byproducts. And so there's 80, excuse me, additional contaminants that can be leaching into your water from that plastic bottle itself. 80, 80 additional contaminants leaching in from the bottle. Um, So if you are to use a bottle of water, of course, as we always harp on, we want you using a reusable glass water bottle. Um, Oftentimes they'll have like cool silicone material. So if you do drop them, it will actually protect them from breaking. I have had a couple that have broken at times. And so I generally lean towards a stainless steel water bottle. And uh, then you'd want to, of course, fill this with filtered water. and, And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the fourth argument against a purchase of a plastic water bottle is the statistics on the PET plastics impacting our environment. 
So we know that 70% of the water bottles are actually left to clog landfills. Only about 30% the EPA estimates are actually recycled. And we know that the 70% that aren't recycled can harm wildlife and can pollute our waterways. In fact, the marine conservation organization Oceana estimates up to 20 million tons of plastic can end up in our oceans per year. So when we talk about these microplastics that are now in our sea salt and in our fish, as we just had an episode a couple weeks back about microtoxins in fish, and we'll relink that, a big contributing factor is just in the consumption of plastic water bottles alone and isn't that weird that i freudian slipped said consumption of plastic water bottles but the reality is is. you're consuming the plastic not just the water in the plastic water bottle and then the last thing we'd say is the wasted energy so you know not only are we adding trash to our environment um we're also seeing the production creates a lot more energy you know so a plastic water bottle takes up to 2,000 times more energy to produce than using a reusable water bottle and filling that with filtered tap. So I think we did it, but you know, I think the only argument to say that plastic water bottle could be appropriate would be extreme circumstances like, you know, the residents of Flint, Michigan, when their water was deemed unsafe for consumption or after a natural disaster, like a hurricane or tornado, um, wildfires. These are times when sometimes the tap water could be very contaminated and even your filtration system won't be able to counteract that water debris or solute, solute load. And so during that time, yes, that could be the appropriate, but even in airports and This is a time where you have your refillable water bottle in your carry-on and many now, more and more and more, we're seeing uh, fill-up stations and they are like UV filtered, which is really one of the gold standards that we'll cover today in water filtration. Yeah, I was going to say like travel, if I forgot my stainless steel would be the only time I think I use plastic. And I think one more thing worth noting, you know, with the plastic and you're talking about the xenoestrogens and, and the actual, you know, chemical makeup is that we have no control of the like temperature of um, that bottled water before it hits your home. Yeah. So even if you buy it from the store and it's coming from the fridge, or if you're buying it by the case at room temperature and popping it in the fridge, you don't know how it was stored in the warehouse and you don't know what the temperature of those trucks that brought your water to where it needed to go or how long it sat for. And that can just magnify a lot of that issue leaching. Of, of leaching. Mm-hmm. So be mindful of that as well and ditch the plastic, guys. It's time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's just talk about municipal or, or you know, city water, yeah. essentially. How let's, it's... Let's go through the, the processing. Uh, yes. It's fun. Super fun. And, Science and is neat. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So coagulation, there's there's um, going to be various steps that I'll kind of walk you through and just define the process, and then we'll talk about considerations and concerns. So coagulation is the first step in water treatment, and during this step, chemicals with a positive charge are added to the water. The positive charge uh, neutralizes the negative charge of dirt and other dissolved solutes in the water. And so this is that initial kind of making water clearer, if you will. Um, Particles are going to bind to the chemicals that were added and form larger particles. And then this will allow better filtration of these uh, compounds and buildups. Often chemicals used in this step are going to be types of salts, aluminum, or iron. The next step is 
flocculation, um, and flocculation is going to follow coagulation. This is a gentle mixing of the water to form larger, heavier particles called flocks. Often water treatment plants will add additional chemicals during this step to help to make these flocks form. The third step is sedimentation, and this is one of the steps in the water tre treatment plant to separate out the solids from the water. So the flocks are going to settle to the bottom of the water because they're heavier, and then they're able to filter out the water, which is the next step, filtration. As the flocks come and settle to the bottom, the clear water to the top is filtered to separate and um, is filtered once more for additional solids from the water. During this filtration, the clear water passes through filters that have different pore sizes and are made up of different materials. So there could be sand, gravel, and or charcoal used in this process. And these filters are gonna remove dissolved particles as well as bacteria and uh, parasite and virus. We'll see dust and chemical additives removed at this level, not completely, but starting to be removed at this level. And the activated carbon can also remove any off odors. Water treatment plants use a uh, process often with ultra filtration, and this is going to be in addition to or instead of the traditional filtration. In ultra filtration, the water is going to go through a filter membrane with very small pores, and this filter only lets through water and other small molecules, so salts and tiny charged molecules. So then there are some water treatment plants that will use a process of ultra filtration where, where they'll run a whole nother round. They might use reverse osmosis in this process. Then following is the disinfection phase. And with disinfection, after the water has been filtered, the water treatment plants will often add one or more chemical disinfectants. So this is where we're adding chlorine to our tap water or chloramine or chlorine dioxide. And this is to kill any remaining parasites, bacteria, or viruses. And to help keep water safe as it travels to homes or businesses or restaurants or hospitals or schools, water treatment plants will make sure that the water still has low levels of the chemical disinfectant when it leaves the treatment plant. So the idea is that it's kind of actively disinfecting as it's living in pipes um, or you know different plumbing systems getting to the tap or consumption level. Got it. And this is where we run into issues with like over sterilization and, and, you know, that chlorine, even the residual small amount um, can have an impact on our gut microbiome for sure. Absolutely. And really isn't necessary. It's disturbing because it can absolutely sterilize the biome. And so when we're talking about dysbiosis or leaky gut, both can be exacerbated mm -hmm. through consumption of tap water because of the chloramine, chloramine, chlorine, or chlorine dioxide. And we know in studies that UV light can actually be just as effective without having that sterility impact. So you can use um, ozone or ozonation and UV light as ways to disinfect water without having that chemical debris or the gut destroying and sterility impact. And is that also when fluoride would be added or that's just like right before? Yeah, so water plants will commonly adjust the pH and add fluoride after the disinfectant step. 
and um, they'll adjust the pH often to support taste, um, also to watch for corrosion. Like if you hear of hard water, we'll cover that in a little bit, but hard water will have more minerals and, and that'll often be more corrosive to pipes. Um, and then, you know, during that time after following the, the decontamination is when they'll add the fluoride. And there is some regional, um, you know, regulation based on municipal water um, for how individuals have lobbied and um, worked with their own local government to try to regulate levels. And that definitely will go into that in a moment. Yes. Um, all right. I, I know you found like a cool resource. I think I've been on here before and scared myself a little yes. bit, um, but a resource for actually looking up your zip code and um, searching your own tap water contaminants. Yes. So this is through the Environmental Workers Group and they have a tap water database. So I was just kind of plugging and playing and looking at past addresses and I found that my Austin address actually had 16 contaminants and that my Houston uh, Heights address had 14 contaminants and these are 14 contaminants that exceed the Environmental Workers Group Health Guidelines. And, you know, the the Houston water that I pulled had a total of 49 contaminants, but 14, again, that exceed. And their big argument with the Environmental Workers Group is that just because it's legal to be consumed does not mean that it's safe to Mm -hmm. be consumed. And so, you know, of these contaminants, it included arsenic, um, bromochloroacetic acid, uh, bromochloromethane, chloroform. We see like cancer as a potential effect of several of those? Yeah, okay. almost all, uh-huh. right? Um, there's haloacidic acids, which cancer is a potential side effect. And this is seeing it at like 599 times the recommended uh-huh. guideline. Um, we saw TTHMs, which are trihalomethanes. So we're talking about volatile organic compounds and toxic chemical additives that are seen in higher levels than should be consumed. So I think that this is a good place to start when you're trying to understand your risk factor. Sure. Um, you know, looking at things, again, like radium and toxic metals even, um, use the ewg.org slash tap water link, which we'll include in the show notes. And that's one way to really understand where you're at with your direct from tap consumption. And again, I want to say one more time because we tend to like hear things and then forget them. You could see 25 contaminants above the recommended range in your Dasani, in your smart water. And again, the bottled waters don't have this standard of regulation that we actually get on a municipal tap water. And so really important to kind of harp that. That's so wild. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you think you're doing at least a better thing and you're not and you're adding the plastic to it. Yeah. But let's maybe before we go more into like filtration and, and what's optimal you know, for your household, um, let's hit on some specifics on contaminants in water. So I want to go back to maybe fluoride as the first one, because this one has a lot of controversy, um, and then maybe hitting on some of the disinfectants used as well. Yes. So, you know, fluoridation or the add of fluoride to our drinking water became common practice back in the 1940s. And it still today is one of the greatest controversies in our country. The proponents of fluoridation will claim that adding the chemical of fluoride to drinking water um, source is effective at reducing cavities. Uh, whereas critics will bring up evidence that point to the danger of fluoride, especially in an unregulated level. 
And so the concern is, even if we're regulating the amount of parts per million, we don't have a standardization of consumption of water. And so, you know, the dose makes the poison type of argument. And so if someone is using, you know, that three liter of fluid consumption versus someone who is in a dehydrated state and only having, you know, maybe 35 or 40, you know, uh, ounces of water in their day, they're going to be at substantially less of a toxicity spectrum than someone who is getting higher amounts of hydration from that source. So when we're looking at fluoride, um, the considerations that make it quite dangerous to consume are the fact that the uh, fluoride can impact our brain and our nervous system. So we've seen in studies that this chemical is actually proven to reduce the IQ level in children and degrade the level of attention and focus in adults. We've seen that fluoride can also cause serious nerve damage in the brain and can damage the vertebral column and the spinal cord strength. So if you're looking for a dumbed-down complacent society, add fluoride to their tap water. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> Why would we do something like that? Um, other health issues that we've yeah, seen talk about thyroid. <laughs> is in the world of thyroid disorders. Yeah. I know this could totally become a prepper episode as, uh-huh. we, as we move uh-huh. on to like, you know, you want to control your source. I think we um, might want to have one of those, at least talking about we food probably security. Need we need to. Prepper episode yep. coming up yep. anyway. <laughs> we'll get a good guest for yes. you guys. Uh, so other health issues in the world of fluoride are um, thyroid disorders and gland abnormalities. And we've seen these increased in people who are exposed to too much fluoride. Again, this idea that the dose makes the poison. Um, The layer of of fluoride can actually cause rigidity in the bones and increase the chance of brittleness to bones, which makes bones more prone to fractures. Um, And we know that long-term exposure to higher levels of fluoride can cause a condition called skeletal fluorosis. And this is in which the fluoride actually builds up in the bones and can displace calcium. And this can result in joint stiffness and pain or inflammatory process as well as fractures. There was a review done by the Scientific World Journal, and this was put out pretty recent in in 2014. And I'm just kind of going to read a little poll, which I thought was great. This review argues that the modest benefits of ingested fluoride in caries, meaning dental cavities, prevention are thoroughly counterbalanced by its established and potential diverse adverse impacts on human health. Due to the abundance of this chemical, it is little surprising that humans ingest or inhale fluoride from a variety of sources. In the Hippocratic titled Epidemics, uh, the ethical principle in relation to controlling disease, premium non nocere, or do good or to do no harm, was emphasized. This principle is, at best, not being fully observed in relationship to fluoride-centered dental caries, prevention interventions, giving the established and potential harms currently attributed to fluoride. So what they're clearly saying is that there's not this first-do-no-harm approach of adding fluoride, that the risk-to-reward impact is clear and that the risk outweighs the reward. Yeah, that's a pretty strong statement. And I know I'm thinking back to like when I was a kid getting like the fluoride dental treatments and Mm -hmm. how I'm not doing that with Noah now. We'll have to have a a dentist on here at some point. Definitely a biological dentist for sure. And we will link at least at this time also um, the Redmond toothpaste. Yeah. So this is a great 
of course, fluoride-free product. There's a lot out there like Tom's and other brands, but Redmond really takes it next level to really remove any of the additives that would be potential metabolites or unfavorable um, compounds like SLS and such in the product. And so really clean and using things like bentonite clay and colloidal silver to support that oral microbiome and baking soda to be supportive of brightening and, and whitening. Yes. Okay, um, so let's talk about now filtration options. So if we have access to that municipal water, what are our options when it comes to then purifying the water source? Okay, so many are probably, before again, water was vogue. <laughs> many, uh, you know, decades back would be familiar with a water softener. And water softeners generally would have this ion exchange. And this can start some of that filtration process. And this will reduce the large deposits, which would make water quote unquote hard. Another filtration option would be a carbon filter. And there's various ways that you can kind of slice or dice this type of a filter. Often a carbon filter could be put as a sink mount um, or this could be countertop based. And then taking it to another level is going to be reverse osmosis. So reverse osmosis is going to be the most dynamic filtration system out there or the most remarkable it can actually remove arsenic and fluoride and hexavalent chromium and nitrate and perchloride and PFAs. So a lot of those volatile organic compounds will be removed in the reverse osmosis process. And many reverse osmosis process uh, filters, which are usually under sink mount, um, or you could have them throughout the whole house external. There's different price points. Under sink mount would obviously be for that sink only, so that would not impact your showers or your baths for your children and in your household. You'd need to do an entire household reverse osmosis, which is usually outside of the home or installed in the garage, and that's going to be on your main line. Um, but many of these systems will actually include an activated carbon filter, and then that's going to also support the impact of the carbon filters, which this is going back to that level of like the Brita used carbon, but the, the more kind of upscale and more supported sound option now would be the Berkey filter. These will actually work on taste and odor. They will reduce volatile organic compounds, lead, mercury. They will reduce disinfectant byproducts. So you should be able to do away with some of that chloride, chlorine and such, and some PFAs. Um, but the carbon filters on their own cannot remove arsenic, fluoride, nitrite, and perchlorate. Um, so you get a little bit of uh, less full filtration in that sense. And then the ion exchange will reduce nitrate, fluoride, sulfate, and arsenic. Um, it also softens the water by removing the calcium and the magnesium, um, but it does not reduce levels of most contaminants. Again, that's kind of more that larger solute in that ion exchange, and that's similar to what's used actually in the municipal water. This is just done secondary to really regulate the salt and um, regulate the large particles. Okay, so it sounds like RO is the way to go or reverse osmosis. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about maybe a few more of the, the benefits there and how that kind of system works. 
Sure. So reverse osmosis would be a strong consideration if you're on municipal or city treated water um, and or if you have a water softener, but, you know, that's the only type of filtration you have in your household. Um, reverse osmosis systems are going to have the same filtration steps as a mechanical filter. And, you know, that's the big thing that will be impacted in the first two steps. So stage one is going to be the sediment filter, taking out any of the sediment that could be found in the water. This would be more large, especially if you're like putting RO on rainwater directly or something like that, that would take out then any of the rooftop or gutter sediment that would be built up. Um, stage two is your carbon filter, and this is going to take out any herbicides, pesticides, or heavy metals that would be found in the tap water or any form of water source. Stage three is going to be the membrane, and this is what actually splits the water, and this is what that reverse osmosis process is. This process immediately removes all contamination, but it does dispose roughly 50% of your water. So you're going through more water and only actually pulling 50% of that into the household when you're using an RO filter. And then stage four is going to often be an alkalizer cartridge added into your RO system. This will actually increase the pH so it's not as acidic and replace some of the mineral lost in that membrane stripping effect. Because when we look at um, you know, chemicals in reverse osmosis reports, we literally see zeros across the board. So we see like zeros in lead, zero in iron, zero in chlorine, zero in hardness score, zero nitrates, zero nitrites, uh, zero chlorine, zero ammonia. But we're going to see an alkalinity of about 20 and a pH level of about 6. Um, and so often we want to move that a little bit more towards the 7 world when we're looking for optimal pH for regular consumption. Yes, and we'll talk about ways to like remineralize as well because you are right losing some of the minerals in that process. Yes, and you know, so through this RO system, um, there was an experiment performed by Liquid Health, um, Liquid Health News on RO water, and they showed again no single chemical compounds, unlike pretty much every water brand out there. Again, hitting home this plastic water bottle conundrum, and um, they saw that there were total dissolved solids or TDSs. Um, in almost all of the name brand water brands. So they tested Nestle, Aquafina, Dasani, and Fiji and found dissolved solids that were in, again, undesirable or unsafe levels in those bottles, but zeroed out with reverse osmosis. Fiji used to be my thing. I know. I still love that bottle. Still pretty. <laughs> it still is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the benefits again is that RO water will remove all harmful chemicals as well as pathogens. Um, and we know that it removes pollutants and VOCs as well as pesticides from the water. So it makes it very safe to drink. Um, and we know that removing these harmful particles from the water can save people from various lethal diseases. So again, when we looked at the 14 contaminants in the Houston water, those many of those were linked to cancer risk. Um, we also know that these compounds can drive uh, cardiovascular health and drive inflammation and blood pressure concerns, nerve damage, infertility, and so much more. And so in the world of nerve damage, we're looking at MS and Parkinson's disease, as well as dementia. 
Okay. Um, and then going beyond that, let's talk RO water and remineralization. So I know, um, especially with the new micronutrient panel that yes. we now run, the um, cell science systems, there's a whole section on minerals. And I've been seeing more and more mineral imbalance now that we're looking at a more complete mineral profile. Um, and that's always my first question is, what is your water source. Yes. Um, so we're looking at more mineral imbalance and also just more chronic dehydration if you're just doing RO and you're not adding anything back. Yes. So if you are drinking RO water, you definitely want to contact the company that put the system in place or have it checked um, so that you have an add-on filter that can remineralize um, because we do remove the main minerals of concern are magnesium and calcium. And these are two large, important minerals for whole body health that can impact, of course, bone health, our, our cardiovascular electrical charge or arrhythmia and the regulation of our heart rate. We know that magnesium plays a huge role with neuromuscular health, bowel regularity, and so much more. And then even the trace minerals can be of large concern. So one consideration is, you know, checking that you actually have that add-on filter to remineralize. And then adding in Redmond Real Salt would be a fabulous thing to do. So, you know, this ancient sea salt is a really cheap, effective way of adding minerals to your RO water. Sea salt is packed with 84 trace minerals. And what's unique about Redmond real salt is that again, it's harvested from caves. So it's ancient. It's not going to have the microplastic contamination of currently pulled sea salt from current oceans. So you're getting 84 trace minerals and um, about a quarter teaspoon of salt to a gallon of reverse osmosis water is a good ratio or just adding pinches to your glass throughout the day. Um, we also would say that if you are drinking RO water and your household tolerates dairy, that this would be a good idea. Thinking of, again, calcium and magnesium as the limited minerals. Um, this would be a good idea to keep raw milk into the diet of the household or Greek yogurt, which would be protein rich and give you those probiotics as well, maybe two to three times a week as a food is medicine goal. And then we would even look at um, layering in our magnesium rich foods, like of course our constant goal of two to three cups of greens per day. Uh, and then I will also link a trace mineral blend um, from Utah Sea Minerals on my Amazon store. That is one that I'm often giving individuals that did the cell science test and they're low in like yeah. strontinum or vanadium. Um, and I'm like, okay, we're not going to supplement with this trace mineral, but let's get you boosted with trace minerals in general. Um, and so that's a great option there. Um, in the supplement world, I would look at for users of reverse osmosis, the osteofactors, especially at if at an age of over 40 or if actively breastfeeding or pregnant. This is our um, MCHC form of calcium, which is really supporting bone mineralization and optimizing calcium levels. And then this would be a huge push for relax and regulate with that magnesium bisglycinate as a way to offset the magnesium demands and deficiency. And then I think just, you know, if you are an individual who's consuming reverse osmosis water regularly, just being aware that you're more prone to electrolyte imbalance. And so maybe doing our electrolyte um, limeade recipe that we did on the YouTube recently and, yes. and incorporating that even as a daily practice, um, you could make it in a ball jar ahead of time and, and you know, have enough for like three, four days and kind of sip off of that. But I think that would be a great add-on for the whole household. 
Yeah, Stella had her first ever bout of constipation at almost age six, and um, she was really sweet about it. And like, I don't know what's happening. Oh, no. I have to push so hard. Is this okay? And I was like, okay, we're just going to like stop, relax your body, and we're going to make some limeade together. And so she had a full scoop of relax and regulate uh, in that limeade, and we, we drank it together with straws. And, um, you know, she liked the sour and the saltiness of it. And within two hours... I'll do the trick. Easy peasy. <laughs> no big deal. And again, different in that relax and regulate versus like a magnesium oxide or citrate, which is just draw, driving water to the colon and not working on that neuromuscular. So when you're getting the electrolytes, you're bringing that water to the colon already. Um, you don't want a cheapo form of magnesium. You want that neuromuscular to help with the peristalsis or the, the, the pumping, if you will, of the digestive tract. Yes. Okay, and any other maybe shortcomings of RO or, or other considerations? So the big thing that I would say is that, again, you're losing 50% of your water source. Right. So that may not be super important if you're using tap or municipal water, but if we're looking at well water or rainwater, where we're constantly ensuring or hoping that we are pulling enough from a natural resource or reserving and maintaining or capturing or gathering enough from a natural resource, you definitely don't want to lose 50%. And also, if we're looking at rainwater collection or well, we're not starting with as toxic of a product, generally speaking. And so we don't require that membrane split to send half of the water down the drain and only half into your storage tank for consumption. So the demineralization would be one and being aware of that. And the second one would be the water waste factor. Okay, so good to know if you're doing rainwater or well water like you are. Yes, and then um, we will link, um, like I said, Blue Jug as a resource for mm-hmm. you guys if you're in the greater Austin, Texas area. I'm not sure. I think they have some Louisiana flagship as well, and so you can check them out. And then if you're outside of that area, I'll also link um, te- uh, Radiant Life, which is a national company, and they do in-home installations as well. Um, and I do have an affiliate discount code, and through Radiant Life, you can also purchase countertop filters like a Berkey filter, which is probably the next thing we have to discuss. Yeah, let's talk about the Berkey and, and kind of the cost benefit there. So this would be a good option versus the you know Brita we both used to have um, if you're living like in an apartment or a home you're not going to be in or, or just not ready to make that investment to a whole home RO system. Yes. So these range, um, they have various sizes. They are all going to be stainless steel. And the Berkey water purification system is uh, going to have an upper and lower chamber. And so they do work with that similar, like a Brita, um, gravity filtration. Um, And your water source is poured into the upper chamber where it gets forced through filters via gravity, making its way down to the lower purified chamber. Um, What's unique about Berkey is that it has a superior patented filter and um, it has extended time frame in which the water droplets pass through the filter. So this allows for higher performance filtration and it really outperforms all other filters on the market. They use a coconut shell carbon and five other proprietary ingredients in their patented filtration system. And um, these are all gonna range in size as countertop options. The smallest is the Travel Berkey, and that has 1.5 gallons. 
the largest is the Crown Berkey, and that goes up to six gallons. And um, the internal filtration elements um, include black Berkeys, those are the carbon filters, as well as PF2 fluoride filters. So as I mentioned earlier, carbon filters can't filter out fluoride. Well, the Berkey will give the option in many of the models that actually adds in a PF2 fluoride filter. So you are able to remove that fluoride additive from your water. Um, and this also allows variety of not only water filtration volume, but also price point. Um, so the standard Berkey goes around like $300, $350. So those um, smaller travel options would be substantially cheaper. And then the more industrial, larger models would be pricier. Okay, got it. Um, and, and on the Berkey, I just didn't dig the taste or like the mouthfeel of the water I guess I would say or how viscous I know mine was a little slimy I would say that's how I would describe it and I have friends that love the Berkey and have had it for years and so I think it's an option um but for me when I got to that level of education and tried the Berkey I ended up actually selling it on Amazon and then um or not on Amazon excuse me on I think Craigslist or something like a like a Facebook group or something um just to a friend at you know a little less than cost because it was pretty new um there is a whole process and I've watched various videos on how you treat the filters to like condition them okay and it's I mean I I thought I did all the steps so I won't say that maybe I I did it 100% but I then went right to Mountain Valley Spring water which is pulled from the do we know how to say these mountains Wachita Wachita Mountains sure okay (laughs) the best I could do yeah okay Wachita Mountains um and it's pure spring water um the mountain valley spring gives 2.5 or 5 glass liter bottles and so you're doing away with that plastic of course and i had this delivered to my office in houston and to our home we've been we had been drinking this water for i think eight to nine years and then when we moved to hill country we were too small and that's when we made our, our transition but uh the mountain valley spring water is naturally pure and sodium free it's rich in calcium magnesium and potassium Um, and you see actually a little bit of the sediment of the mineralization Uh, the water has a natural balanced ph so instead of that six that you get in your reverse osmosis you're hanging at a 7.3 to 7.7 so a little bit more alkalinity and they do really beautiful third-party water quality report tests which identify so many different compounds and i will say the taste of this and the fact that I would always use a, um, I, I like, I know this is not recommended in like Ayurvedic medicine and so much more, but um, I really do like some cold water at times. And I really loved the like stainless steel um, temperature control valves of being able to grab like a refreshing cold glass of water when I wanted it or room temp. Um, and I love the glass and, and the taste. So big fan there. Yeah, we now have your cooling tower. <laughs> I yeah. always drink at room temperature before that, but I'm she's right isn't the cold delicious i drink it faster and i just enjoy it's just like so good yes okay um and um when we're talking filtration of ro berkey etc this is typically you know done on municipal water like we said but um why would we consider moving to well or rain water i guess this depends on where you live is the first big thing yes right so if possible it would be a strong consideration because as we define water is essential to life 
you know, um, so it would be most common sense, especially to question agendas of adding things that are known carcinogens or known disease driving agents and knowing that there's been pretty thorough clinical assessments, it would make common sense to do your best to control your own supply. So, you know, we know that Obviously, in worst case scenario, some unknown individual trying to biohazard um, impact municipal city water um, through a contaminant could be of consideration or concern. Um, we know that that would be no problem for an individual that controls their own water. Um, if there's issues with pumps and the tanks cut off, um, there could be issue for supply or support or need. There's been water shortages in Austin and sure. you know hot areas where you can't use water per demand you have to limit showering and timestamps or at least highly recommended to do so um, so having control of your own demands and needs and being able to provide would be a big freedom factor there um, and you know if you have the capacity to collect your own why wouldn't you because this is a great way to also not only save on the um, resource but you're able to protect your resource and get a better quality product generally speaking when we're talking about both rainwater and um, well water okay um, and maybe let's cover some of the other stuff that you've learned about rainwater because I know you're in and deep well water. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in deep into both of these worlds so tell me yeah. all about it so when we were first looking at moving out to hill country I we we looked at a couple houses like on the Blanco River and I was like oh they're definitely not because like caliche roads like not even paved roads to get to the houses you know and I was like oh well they're definitely not going to be able to deliver us our mountain spring valley water what am i gonna do and my realtor was like well have you ever like had rainwater and i was like well i've had richard's rainwater yeah, which is yeah, an yeah. austin brand yeah. and sure it's good and she's like no 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 like straight from the tap like we're gonna grab a cup from this house that you're viewing and we're gonna drink rainwater and like you're gonna taste it and experience it um and rainwater is said to have the best taste i mean it comes from the clouds uh, yeah, it does land on the roof of your house and it falls from there into the gutters. You require gutters to be able to collect and then kind of pull that water from the gutters into pipes and into your tank. Um, but one of the best things about harvested rainwater is its purity. And so when we're looking at the impact of rainwater, we know that it can be um, you know, really pure and have a really fantastic flavor profile. We do want to be mindful that rainwater that falls in heavily polluted areas could come into contact with higher contaminants. Um, and especially if it's high rural areas um, where there's like animal feces coming into lakes and those aren't regulated, this would be something we'd want to be mindful of. Or um, in an area of high toxic impact, like I'm thinking of like you know, the deer park area in Houston and such where there's like drilling and, um, what am I trying to say? Extract of, of oil. Um, you know, there's a lot of volatile organic compounds in those areas. So we do want to be mindful of that. Um, and that those could impact the safety of your rainwater. Refining? Refineries. I was like, where did, where did my husband used to work? Thank you. I'm like those oil pulling (laughs) places. Refineries. Yes. Refineries. He worked at one. Um, (laughs) So you also need to take into account how frequently it rains in your geographical area, as well as the levels of air pollution, and then, you know, the methods and tools to collect, treat, and test your water in your area. Um, But we do know that contaminants can be treated through a good quality water rain barrel collecting system. Like I said, we're going to have ozonation in ours, as well as... um, 
the treatment through UV ray, and that's what's going to be used to decontaminate. So that will remove any pathogen, whether there's bacteria, virus, or parasite, and um, we're looking at that as the, the primary system. Okay, and then um, what about, do you have to do anything else to it to make it suitable for drinking or um, will that just be used everywhere in the household? Yeah, so there's a three cartridge system that's put into the tanks as well. So there's a collection tank and even before it gets into there, it's going to be sediment filtered. So this is like the sediment of, again, leaves and debris. Um, And then it will go into cartridges that often are, um, some brands will call ultra pure cartridges. And this is where like bugs, bacteria, herbicides, pesticides, any metals would be removed from the water to make it safe to drink. And that's what's going to go into your tank. And then there's also alkalizers. um, And alkalizers can um, be really supportive of regulating your pH, bringing it a little bit more basic versus acidic. Um, We know that um, five micron sediment filter followed by a three micron activated charcoal filter um, followed by UV light is kind of the three-step approach for filtration and disinfectants. And this will often be done again, preceding the storage of your water. Studies show that rainwater is safe to drink and even better than the water provided by most local city water supplies. Um, And if you're concerned about the pH level of your rainwater, that's where you'd add in that alkaline element because rainwater will be a little bit more acidic. So it's going to often range from like a 5.5 to a 6. And this is where we'd really look to add in some potential alkaline filter, which could be just a carbon filter layered into your rainwater collection. But just like RO water, we're going to see kind of a zero score across the board in contaminants, but we will have more mineralization. We're not going to see demineralization like you do with the splitting of molecules through the RO water. And that's also where you often will have a better taste profile as well. Okay, and then you mentioned you'd also be using the rainwater like for irrigation of the orchard, right? Yeah, so that's why we'll have a second one. So, I mean, the benefits of rainwater is it doesn't have harmful chemicals or pollutants or dust or microplastics. Um, And once you get your tank system set up, it's free of cost. You're just collecting this natural resource. Um, And so it can be a really great option. Now, we know that plants thrive with rainwater, actually. Um, So it can work really beautiful for irrigation, especially gardening and edibles you know and so when we're talking about the impact of chemical free water this is huge and also the fact that rainwater has zero hardness um, that's not going to build up on appliances pipes and also the well water can be more difficult for growing environments so we'll get that benefit of taste as well as plant growth with less chemicals in the water and um, we know that the collection itself is quite sustainable. Okay, so I know I'm going to be filling up my water bottle at your house, um, <laughs> but um, let's talk about just considerations here. So, you know, how much like roof square footage do you need? How much does it cost? Yeah, and so when we're talking about rainwater, this was a big thought consideration when we developed our system in our house. We wanted to live in a ranch just for aesthetics um, of a one-floor, one-story living. 
But a ranch style home is going to have more square footage of roof versus a two story home, which it's just one roof for, mm-hmm. you know, less square footage. So that's consideration for sure when you're looking at your house and, you know, an area if you plan to collect rainwater. So we require gutters also, like I said, to collect the water and carry it to the pipes. And generally speaking, you can collect around 550 gallons of water for every 1,000 square feet of collection surface for every one inch of rain. Um, and so if you're trying to estimate how much you can collect in a year, you would take the square footage of your, your collection surface or your roof, you would divide that by 1,000 and then multiply that by 550 and then multiply that by the average annual rainfall in your area. So I'll put that little calculation in the show notes so y'all can see and consider that. And then as far as cost, the system is going to be pricey. This is really looking at a minimum of about a 10-year investment, you know, to really get your money back. Most tanks are going to have a 20-plus year warranty, and so this is something to strongly consider. And most tanks will include their flush device, a pump, filters, that ultraviolet light, um, but they will not include the gutters. So taking into your cost consideration, if your house doesn't have gutters, gutters alone can be fifteen dollars to $20,000 to install. And then a rain barrel collection that's at about a 20,000 gallon size of a galvanized metal tank is going to be generally speaking around twenty dollars to $30,000. Um, and so you can um, spend, you know, in any varied range, depending on how complicated your system is, but that's generally kind of the, the ballpark you're looking at. And a reasonably conservative person will use about 25 to 50 gallons a day. Um, and this is excluding any landscaping needs. Um, so this is, you know, a family of four looking at around 40,000 gallons per year. So that's kind of where we used that calculation of getting the 40,000 gallon tank. Um, and then we have that 20,000 gallon tank by the orchard, which will devote to the orchard. And then the well will be our secondary backup because we've seen times in mm-hmm. Texas Hill Country where we've gone 75 days without rain. And we have neighbors in our area, our, our ranch uh, neighborhood, that have only rainwater. And this past summer had to ship in water on trucks. And so if you're doing that, that makes my heart hurt because you're taking your pure rainwater and then you're adding municipal water to it. Um, And so, you know, that's why we wanted to have separate options. So we'll have a valve system that if we have to shift our household to well, we can do that for just our gray water, meaning that we'll always use rainwater as our sinks, as our um, baths, as our showers. And then we would use that gray water secondarily for like exterior hoses, mm-hmm. as well as for the toilet systems. Okay. That so we my, have that my next question. ability to kind of manipulate okay. and plug and play, which should be pretty great, Okay, hopefully. Yeah. Yep. I was like, how much rainwater do we need? And do yes. we get enough rain in Texas Hill Country? Um, okay, so the well water is kind of your backup, and, and that's pretty much like an endless supply right give or take but remember when we were at hamilton pool and tammy was walking us through there and talking about how depending on what aquifer you're on there were people that had a full-on shortage and couldn't get drips from their well so that happened to us growing up all the time very dependent of the well location yeah yeah and the aquifer that you're tapping into so well water can be a very cost effective way to deliver water to your home um, I highly suggest and have learned that, you know, if even if you have a well, you're going to want a larger well um, storage tank so that, you know, the amount of gallons per, you know, minute or hour that you're pumping, um, you have that holding tank, especially if you're going uphill like mm-hmm. I am to get to your property to use that water. 
year. Um, wells have pretty long lifespans, which is great. They're very cost effective. So cheaper system, generally speaking, than rainwater. It does kind of depend on the type of um, uh, earth that you're on, like what's the density of the rock that you're on and how deep do you have to dig into that well to tap into that aquifer. But generally, we're going to see a lifespan of about 30 to 50 years. The footprint of a well is substantially smaller in spatial impact than these large rain barrel collections. Like a 40,000 gallon tank has a wide radius. I don't know off the top of my head, but they're huge, like larger than the house in some cases. Um, and so they take up a lot of space. You can't just pop them, you know, right next to a home in many spaces. Um, and then wells have much smaller of a thumbprint there, and they're a great way to obtain water in most regions. Disadvantages of wells is that it's always going to, generally speaking, going to be harder water, um, and that can create scaling and building up in your pipes. There can be harmful contaminants in your well water, um, more likelihood than we would see in rainwater, and this is mostly bacteria, lead, and arsenic that we're worried about. Although the well has upwards of 50 years impact we know that the pumps need to be replaced about every 10 years and then a lot of people complain about the taste of well water so when we're looking at well water taste often the biggest step there is to actually do some air injection oxidizing filtration systems uh, this will actually store air into um, the filtration media tank. And as the water passes through the air, ion and manganese um, will be converted to particles, which are trapped by the filtration media. And then the air is gradually consumed by the water, passing out through the tank. And this system will clean itself every three days. And it will run by the number of gallons used to assure that your house has clean, iron, and odor-free water. Because it's usually that iron or mineral buildup that creates that like sulfurous, you know, smell. rotten egg yeah. kind of smell yeah, yeah. or odor or impact and okay. taste. Got it. Um, and you mentioned most wells are going to be hard water. So do we want to talk about hard water? Like that's most of municipal water, yeah. um, especially in, in like rural rocky yes. areas. Because it's when water's passing, groundwater's passing through mineral right. earth Makes sense. that okay. it gets higher mineral impact and that's what we're calling hard so hard water is is high mineral content water and um, hard water is found where the water percolates through deposits of limestone like out here chalk or gypsum um, and this is where we'll see higher amounts of calcium and magnesium so the opposite of again what those big minerals are getting pulled out from the ro um, we can also see higher amounts of sulfates which is that exact kind of rotten egg type impact or bicarbonates and hard drinking water can have moderate health benefits for that reason because it's actually more mineralized than you know your standard water as far as considerations. But concern in the household and why we had those ion-based water softeners is that soap scum and clogged plumbing are usually a result of hard water. And so in the most basic sense, the water softener basically softens the water by using ionic capturing particles to the hard minerals before the water flows to your home to be used. So it's the secondary tank. We add salt and the salt softens the water. Um, the salt does not actually um, get absorbed. It's just used to regenerate the um, resin beads in your water softener. And then that's what actually removes those larger minerals and softens the hardness, the mineralization. 
Got it. I've learned so much. <laughs> I'm sure there's go. more. going to be a water salesman. Yeah, you could be. You could be with all that. Oh, Who my knows? goodness. Um, let's just kind of, before we close, I just want to talk five mistakes of well. Sure. Um, so big thing, of course, again, if you're buying and there is an established well on the property or there isn't, again, finding out what is going on in that direct area plane, what aquifer you're tapping into, and the um, flow rate and um, well pump function. So what is the well flow rate in gallons or liters per minute? That's going to be really important to know if this is going to sustain your household. Um, failing to analyze the well water chemistry correctly, making sure that you absolutely, before you close on the home, if you plan to use that water, you know the status of the water in that well. Um, also not having a fundamental understanding of how the well water system works and understanding, you know, what pump parts are and how to make um, course corrections when needed. Uh, not checking the water pressure or having a broken pressure gauge. And I would add to that not having a storage tank because again, if you only have a certain amount of gallons or liters per minute, that storage tank can all flow as you're pumping up more into the storage tank and that's going to give you a lot more water utilization. And then choosing the wrong treatment system or an inadequate treatment system for the water area of concern. So all food for thought there. Okay, we've covered so, so much in today's episode. Obviously, we all need water. So this yes. is a, you know, a topic that no one can really get around. Hopefully, you've learned something helpful. But let's just kind of summarize our, our big takeaways punches. and yeah. big areas of focus. Maybe some supplement support here too. Okay, so the big thing is, yes, we need water. And we want you to drink at least two liters a day. And more so if you weigh over 2.5 liters a day. And more so if you weigh, you know, over 130 pounds or so. Um, we all would recommend that you treat municipal water at home in some level addition to how it's coming out of your sink. So beyond the treatment plants, consider what type of filtration system is best for you. Is it a countertop carbon filter? Is it a reverse osmosis under sink or a whole house filtration system? And within that, I would further add to the argument, stop drinking plastic water bottle water because it's not helping you. It's absolutely more of a harm to benefit. Taking a probiotic regularly would be an important way to offset the sterility in municipal tap water. Uh, so using our probiotic challenge to determine what dosage is appropriate for you. Taking detox packs, absolutely important to reduce uh, the impact of volatile organic compounds, toxic metals, and other contaminants. And within using the detox packs, considering doing our 10-day detox quarterly. So another kind of call to action there. I know a lot of you joined us in, in um, January, excuse me, and this is about past that spring cleaning time for quarterly, and we're getting close to happening already in the summer. So this is probably a time to do another 10-day detox and keep those Reset Restore Renew detox packs on hand to pulse in regularly because we live in a toxic world. Um, cellular antioxidants would be a strong consideration for an antioxidant boost, especially if you have tendency or anticipation of toxicity from toxic metals or um, know that free radical impact has depleted antioxidant status in your body. This is where cellular antioxidants would be a great antioxidant boost. Osteofactors as our calcium supplement support and relax and regulate for the magnesium to support that remineralization, especially if you're doing RO in your household. And consume a quality 
ancient mineral salt regularly to get those 80 plus trace minerals and to support the solute added to your water to carry that water into your cells versus passing through your body. So we'll also include some kind of food as medicine water recipes, if you will, which are infusions. So if there's members of your household that don't like the taste of water or can't get water down beyond making our electrolyte limeade, you can also infuse things like you could infuse herbs into your water and make a infusion to add more nutrient density or you could do a diluted version of hibiscus tea and do that as a great way to get your water. And you could slice up strawberries and add a sprig of rosemary in there or slices of grapefruit and so much more. So we'll link water infusions. We hope that you learned some things from today's episode. We will of course be linking, like I said, the resources for you to check out in the show notes. You can always find those at naturallynourishedrd.com. And then over at allymillerrd.com is where you can check out the protocols like our probiotic challenge, as well as purchase our 10 day detox or any of the naturally nourished supplements noted during today's episode. And if you learned something awesome or you're loving the naturally nourished podcast please take a moment and give us a five-star review with a sentence or two over on google play or spotify or apple podcasts wherever you're listening and we always appreciate your listening ear and sharing with you our passion for food as medicine thank you for listening to the naturally nourished podcast visit our blog at allymillerrd.com for recipes wellness tips and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at Allie Miller RD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.